1 Thessalonians 5, 6. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. Father, we thank you for this message. We pray that you would be help us to be sober-minded about it. Lord, this is a practical message, a practical verse, but it's got spiritual truth, Lord, and spiritual reality to it, Lord, that is very important, and we need it today. And I pray that you would illuminate this text, give us understanding, anoint me to preach it, Lord, and to live it. In Jesus' name, amen. This message is let us not sleep, or you could call it watch and be sober. But in any case, this message is about the discipline of sanctification. We have been talking about how God does not require you to be a child of light to be a child of light. He saves you by faith and he sanctifies you by faith. The just shall live by faith. It is God that worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. But once you are a child of the light, once God has saved you, once he has filled you with his spirit, once he has sanctified you and anointed you to be his witness, there is a discipline of daily life and daily sanctification that is necessary in order to not be a castaway. Paul said, I bring under my body and bring it into subjection, lest having preached to others, I myself should be cast away. <clears throat> there is a discipline of sanctification. This is the next step in true growth for years and years and years, probably in reality, ever since Christ um, died and was buried and rose again and sent his disciples to preach the word and anointed them at Pentecost. And the apostles began to um, give us the scriptures ever since those days, probably, but definitely in the last 50 years, over the years, there has been a constant trend to preach the discipline of sanctification sanctification flip backwards and flip opposite of how God teaches it. The temptation, by the way, here we're welcome back to Bible time. This is Bible time today and we're looking at the word of God. The temptation when you go to the word of God is to assume that you must do what the Bible tells you to do. And that's a wrong assumption. You must do what the Bible tells you to do after yielding and believing God because the just shall live by faith. If you take faith out of the out of the equation, if you take faith for salvation out and make your salvation a do it salvation, you will die in your sins and go to hell. And if you take faith out of sanctification and make it a bunch of rules and regulations and how strict you are and all of these kinds of concepts, then what you are doing is creating a pharisaical legalistic mode of life that will be letter killing death to everybody around you. If you try and raise your children with a bunch of rules, you've got to wear your dress this long. You have to wear these kinds of pants. You have to comb your hair this way. You have to take three steps to the left and one to the right for every jump that you do backwards. And all these weird rules and regulations that you try and put on yourself and on your family in order to be holy, you will kill. Your family will fall. Your children will fall. Legalism ends in death. License ends in in death. Both are wrong. God gives you the strength. God gives you the power. God gives you the desire to follow him and to be his disciple. Jesus said, and the word of God says that, <coughs> excuse me, the word of God says again that is that it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Another place says it's not of him that willeth nor of him that runneth. It's not the one that does it, but it's the one that believes God that gets to the finish line. It's the one that believes that obeys. But if, on the other hand, you recognize the danger of legalistic rules and you recognize the dead letter that you were raised in or that other people of your friends were raised in and you're afraid of rules and you're afraid of discipline and you're afraid of standards because you have seen legalists with standards fall and make others fall, then you will fall into license. You'll become a libertine. You'll become 
someone who teaches the grace of God as lasciviousness, and you will go on and teach the doctrines of Christ, making you will it without Christ making you do it. The Bible says it is God who makes you both to will and to do. Both are true. God must give you the power and the desire to do what is right. God is the one that does it in you, and God is the one that makes you want to do it. I'll talk to one man on the street, and he does all the rules, but he doesn't really love God. He's just got a list of rules and regulations, and he's strict, and he's keeping making his family do all these things. His fa- he's stern. He's austere. And he's going to force everybody in his life to conform to what he sees as the rules laid out in God's word. And then, and he's the one that thinks that it is God that works in you to will, but it's all you that has to do. And so he's out trying to make everybody do. And then you meet the next guy and the next guy says, well, it's God that works in you to do it. So I'm going to will it and that's well enough and I can leave it at that. If I will to be right, and yet do wrong, at least I willed it and God sees my heart. I want to be pure. I want to be clean. I want to be a witness and I fail miserably, but Paul failed too. Paul said the good that I would, I do not and that which I would not, that I do. And that's where I'm at. And so that's okay. God sees my heart. I'm just a work in progress. Both of these are pits. Both of these are snares. Both of these are ditches that Christians can get in. God works in you both to will and to do. And part of that means that when you will, and it's God working in you to will, you do. And it's God working in you to do. But what do you do? Here in 1 Thessalonians 5, 6, he says, Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. So one man could say, the Bible teaches it is a sin to sleep. (coughs) Well, good luck with that one. Let's see how long you make it. This has got to be understood in its context, and it's got to be rightly divided and compared with other scriptures. This seems really basic, but this is absolutely critical. Sleep is an important subject in the Bible. The Word of God says, Ye are all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love and for an helmet the hope of salvation so the legalist says this is talking about falling asleep and so and it says we're not to sleep so i can't sleep and then the legalist goes about to never sleep again <clears throat> pretty soon the legalist figures out he cannot sleep he cannot go without sleeping So he gathers a panel of rabbinical um, heads and theologians, and they gather together and discuss what the word sleep means in the Bible and how many minutes of the day and how many hours of the day and what time and what hours can be slept, what time and what hours cannot be slept. And then as long as he adheres to his little rules and regulations, he believes that he's literally keeping this literal commandment to not sleep. And he looks down his long rabbinical nose at everybody else around him who are sleeping no less and no more than he is, but not in the prescribed hours and times that he has laid out on his little schedule. And that's how the legalist approaches this verse. And then the spiritualist, the license, the libertine comes to this verse and says, obviously everybody's got to sleep. We're human. Therefore, God is not talking about literal sleep. It's only spiritual. And he goes on to be a lazy sloth and live in absolute decadence, sin and slothfulness and waste his life away and never do a thing for God because this is a spiritual sleep that has no effect on reality, no practical application and no literal interpretation. Again, both are ditches. God's talking about literal sleep, and he's talking about spiritual sleep, and we've got to rightly divide it here. Go to Matthew 25, a passage that we have looked at um, lately in our study here in 1 Thessalonians. Here he says, Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. And five of them were wise, and five were foolish. They that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them, but the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. Well, the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. How many of them slumbered and slept? Here's your word question for the day. Those of you that are doing math in your schooling, how many slumbered and slept? 10. 
There were ten of them. Five were wise, five were foolish, and all ten slumbered and slept. Yet God still called five wise and five foolish. Was it the sleep that made them wise or foolish? (coughs) No, it was the preparation before the sleep that made them wise and foolish. It was the way in which they slept that made them wise or foolish. Five of them took oil in their vessels and then slept. Five of them had no oil in their vessels and then slept. It's foolish to go to sleep when your house is catching on fire. If you see the corner of the wall starting to kindle and a little flame leap up the side of the wall and you say, I'll take care of that after a nap and you go back to sleep, you'll probably never wake up again. It would be very foolish to sleep in that situation. And this sleep that God is talking about in 1 Thessalonians 5, 6 is a literal physical sleep and it is a spiritual sleep. And both of these have to be taken into account. What he's talking about here is sleeping when you should be awake, sleeping when you should be watching, neglecting your watching and going to sleep. Here in Matthew 25, go to verse 8. The foolish woke up and said unto the wise, Give us of your oil, for our lamps are gone out. But the wise answered, saying, Not so, lest there be not enough for us and you, but go ye rather to them that sell and buy for yourselves. Well, it was already late, and they had to go wake people up. They couldn't just go to market and get the oil. There's a time to sleep and there's a time to work. There's a time for everything under the sun. There's both time and judgment that must be discerned. In verse 13, Jesus Christ told the disciples, watch therefore, for ye know neither the day nor the hour wherein the son of man cometh. Matthew 24 and verse 42, Jesus said there, watch therefore, for ye know not what hour your Lord cometh. But know this, that if the good men of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have suffered his house to be broken up. Therefore be ye also ready. This is the key. Be ye therefore also ready. For in such an hour as ye think not, the Son of Man cometh. Jesus talked about in the Sermon of the Mount. You can go to Matthew 26, but in the Sermon of the Mount, Jesus talks about the um, whenever you have a problem with your brother to leave your gift at the altar and go your way. It's not that taking the gift to the altar was wrong, but rather that something had to be done first. And this is where the physical sleep must be limited in the word of God to to those times that you are right with God. You need to listen to me. I'm just going to give you a, a, a glimpse here of the main drive of this whole message. Never in your life, look at me, look up here. Never in your life should you go to sleep unless you are right with God. Do not go to sleep if you are not right with God. The Bible says if you are surety for a friend that you're in a problem, you're in a snare, he says, do this now, my son, go to thy friend and make sure thy friend give not sleep to thine eyelids. He said, go now, do not go to sleep, do not take leisure, do not take rest, do not stop until you are right with your friend. You have a friend who died for you on Calvary, his name is Jesus Christ, and you have a friend you need to be right with, you need to owe nothing to, you need to make sure that your account is settled, that your balance is clear every time you rest. Do not take rest, do not take leisure unless you're heart is right with God and God has given you the liberty to sleep. Go to Matthew 26 and verse 36 here. Jesus went into the garden of Gethsemane and it was a time in the night whenever most people were sleeping. Most people were asleep and Jesus went out into the garden of Gethsemane. Verse 36, then cometh Jesus with them unto a place called Gethsemane and saith unto the disciples, sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be very to be sorrowful and very heavy. Then saith he unto them, my soul is exceeding sorrowful even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. Watching is keeping yourself from sleep, Focusing, paying attention to the Lord. That is the context of this. And he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O oh my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. <coughs> and he cometh unto the disciples and findeth them asleep. 
Jesus had called them to watch, and they fell asleep. Sleep in and of itself is not wrong. We'll look at that in just a second. But sleep, when the master says watch, is sin. Look at what he says here. What could ye not watch with me one hour? Verse 41, watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Well, that sounds like Romans 7. And here Jesus Christ gives us a remedy for that which I do, I allow not, and that which I would not, that I do. Now, given that you're born again by the power of God, that you've repented of your sins and believed on the Lord Jesus Christ alone, plus nothing, minus nothing, only Jesus, his blood, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his deity, that he is God in the flesh who died for your sins and was buried and rose again. His spirit, if then, if you are born again, has indwelt you. If you have repented as a Christian of all your attempts to walk in your own strength and your own power, and you are walking in obedience to the word of God, filled with the power of the Holy Spirit of God, which is not a given and not a natural state, even for a Christian. If you are walking in the spirit, not fulfilling the lusts of the flesh, you are in danger of falling back into the flesh. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. It is a major trap to think that once you're saved, you've arrived. And it's another trap that's as deadly or more deadly to think that once God has done a major work in your heart of sanctification, where the Holy Spirit of God has moved in in great power and loosed you from habits and given you power over sin and given you unction and anointing to be his witness, it is a great mistake to think that you can now go take it easy and hit the cruise button and rise your way right into heaven on the coattails of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And if you let your flesh have its way, your flesh will hold sway. When your flesh holds sway, takes over, takes the lead, your flesh will ruin your day. The flesh is going to lead you into sin. The flesh cannot do that which it would. The flesh has a law in it that when I would do good, evil is present with me. The flesh will hinder you. The flesh will stop you. The flesh will stall you. The flesh will respond positively to Satan's temptations when your spirit is responding negatively. The flesh must be brought under. The flesh must be disciplined. The flesh must be brought under control. But if If you discipline your flesh apart from being born again by the power of God, you will go to hell with a disciplined flesh. And if as a born again Christian, you discipline your flesh without relying on and leaning on and seeking God for the fullness of his Holy Spirit and the power that he's promised you to live a holy life, then your flesh will rise up and destroy you. There is a amazing, amazing paradox that we've see in life all around us that the stronger a man is the harder he falls how many of you have heard that before the bigger they are the harder they fall that's how the saying goes and you as a christian if you discipline your flesh with your own strength in your own power with your own reasoning with your own will if you do it through your own strength then your flesh will become a giant your flesh will become a gigantic pharisaical giant that is disciplined and powerful and calculating and your flesh it will betray you. The day will come when Satan brings the temptation that is just enough temptation to overcome your qualms. The temptation that your flesh says, now that is a good deal. The temptation that your flesh says, I like the smell of that. I like the sound of that. I don't care about the consequences. I'm going after that. And when you have disciplined your flesh as a carnal Christian, a 
apart from the power of the Holy Spirit of God and the yielding to his Holy Spirit and obedience to the scriptures and a soaking of your soul and of your spirit in the word of God daily and a watching and a praying and a seeking of God for his power. When that temptation comes and your disciplined flesh with all of its strength and all of its power turns towards sin, you will blow out in a way that shocks you and shocks everyone that you know. Because all of your religious discipline it was, it was nothing more than a fleshly carnal attempt to prove your own righteousness. And when the day comes that the flesh gets sick of playing the little holier-than-thou game and wants a nice taste of the nasty world that we live in and gets a desire for the sin that's all around it, your flesh will leap after it and you will find that instead of a weak flesh that wants to go after sin, you now have a strong flesh that wants to go after sin. And the problem is exacerbated. The problem is multiplied. The problem is exponentially greater. This is why seemingly godly people blow out harder than people that live in the world. This is why a Christian who goes off and leaves Christianity and goes into the world and goes into sin will often and plunge far deeper than all the wicked worldlings that he grew up with and around and they will turn and look at him and say look at what happened to him it was no use for his parents to raise him right the reason is he never learned to rest in the power of the Holy Spirit of God and yield and obey the Holy Spirit of God it was all an outward carnal show with no lively vitality in it here Jesus says let us not sleep, God says through the Apostle Paul in 1 Thessalonians 5, 6, therefore let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. By the way, I want you to think for a moment, if you are in the in a battle and you have a thousand soldiers under you and you are leading your soldiers and you have been whipping the enemy and you've beat them five times and they have more soldiers than you do and you you're on the you're on the victory march you've got the battle about in the wraps and you and one of your soldiers fall asleep and the enemy sees you both which one is he going for the leader or the follower the leader the more you do for God, the further you go for God, the harder you fight for God against the devil, the more the devil is attuned to you, the more he's watching for you to go asleep, the more he's watching for you to put your head on your pillow, angry with your brother, out of sorts with your wife, courting evil thoughts, laying on your bed, just kind of thinking through something wicked that you shouldn't think about that nobody else knows you're thinking about instead of dealing with it and getting it right before God. The devil is ready. He's watching. He's waiting. He's got you on his radar. If you are following God, he is watching for you to go to sleep, waiting for that time because he knows he can't touch you as long as you walk with God. But when you go to sleep spiritually, he knows he's got you. Do not lay your head on your pillow without getting right with God. You make sure every night, every moment, every time you are ever even tempted to consider taking a nap, take that as a prompting from God to take a serious moment for self-examination. Check your heart, check your mind, check your motives. Say, God, am I right with you? God, am I courting secret sin? God, am I thinking dirty? Is there anything dirty I've thought that I haven't dealt with? Is there anything in my heart that you're not pleased with, Lord? Because the devil is waiting for you to go to sleep so that he can attack. <coughs> Matthew 26, Jesus told them, watch, watch the cheat. <coughs> Excuse me, watch. And pray that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away again the second time and prayed, saying, O oh my father, if this cup may not pass from me except I drink it, thy will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. And he left them and went away again and prayed the third time, saying the same words. Then cometh he to his disciples and saith unto them, Sleep on now. There's a time for sleep. 
The time for sleep is when the burden is over. The time for sleep is when the battle is won. The time for sleep is when the enemy is routed and there's peace and there's safety because the enemy is defeated. But when the battle is raging, the Christian dare not sleep. You say it's 12 o'clock at night. I need to go to bed. I've got to get up and go to work tomorrow. But God, the Holy Ghost has burdened you. Pray for your pastor. Get out of bed. Get on your knees and pray for Christ's sake, or you might not have a pastor when you wake up in the morning. There is a battle that we are fighting in. And when God burdens you to pray, or when you have sin in your life, do not shut your eyes. Accept it be in prayer. Do not yield to sleep when there is war to fight, when there is a battle on. Here he told them, sleep on now and take your rest. Behold, the hour is at hand and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. I don't know how much time elapsed between verse 45 and verse 46, but Christ said to them again, um, here next, rise, let us be going. Behold, he is at hand that doth betray me. So here they were sleeping when Judas arrived. And we, you can read the rest of that story about the betrayal of Christ, Peter's denial of Christ. There's a time time to sleep and a time to wake. Go to Psalms chapter 127. This psalm is a precious psalm, especially if you're a parent, for it says, Lo, children are an heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. It begins here, Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh, but in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so giveth he his beloved sleep. And it's amazing that in that context, he talks about having a lot of kids because having a lot of kids usually takes away your sleep but that's an important point to notice he's not talking here to someone who is getting their sweet 16 eight hours a night eight hours every night of beauty rest and they get to pamper and they get to and they get to like wind down with leisure time for a couple hours before they go to bed and then they get to wake up and stumble around for a little while and drink a cup of coffee and turn on the morning news and smack their lips a few times and scratch their armpit and take a shower and sit on the couch for a little while thinking about life the universe and everything and then go to work he's talking to people who are here are buried up in little human beings that demand time and attention all the time and wake them up throughout the night. And he tells these beleaguered, embattled, and besieged parents who haven't hardly slept a decent night since they started having kids, he says, listen, it's vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for lo, the Lord giveth um, his children sleep, for so he giveth his beloved sleep. And he's comforting parents here and saying, listen, it's all right to go to sleep. You can take a rest because it's common for parents to worry the night away. If a kid hasn't woke them up, they sit there and worry about why. Are they still breathing? Are they still alive? And they get up and walk through the night in the middle of the night in the dark, listening. Oh, that one's still breathing. Oh, that one's still breathing. Oh, that one's still breathing. Good. I can go to sleep. And they go lay down and they lay there for a little while and their eyes get heavy and they start to fall asleep and they hear a little squawking. Oh, oh, oh. They're out of bed and they're walking through the night. Who squawked? And they can't find anybody that squawked because all the kids are laying there snoring happily away, sleeping without a care in the world, but that parent's not sleeping. And here God says, so the Lord giveth his beloved sleep. You see, there's a time for sleep. When you stay Stay awake through the battle. There's a time to sleep after the battle. And it's common to get battleground fatigue. I saw a painting of a soldier from Iwo Jima in a battle in World War II where they went over seven days without getting even one hour's sleep straight through. They were harassed and attacked and shot at 24 hours a day for seven days. And at the end of those days, a one of the men that was reporting there for the news happened to be a painter, and he either took a picture or something, but he made a portrait of a soldier of a United States Marine um, there at the end of the that, the, that seven-day run of battles. And it's and he basically titled it battle, Battleground Fatigue or something like that, Battle Fatigue. And the man's eyes are sunken and hollow but wide open 
He's so exhausted he can't even think, but his eyes won't even hardly shut to blink because he's been on high alert so much time. And when you're in the battle and you've been fighting and you've been watching and you've been waiting, there comes a time to lay your head on your pillow and give it all to God and shut your eyes and go to sleep. If you don't get any sleep, you'll fail. You'll fall apart. So God gives us a balance here in the word of God. Psalms chapter three, he says here, Psalm is, this is this Psalm in the header when David fled from Absalom, his son. I can't imagine a worse set of of circumstances. His own son was hunting him to kill him. How could you sleep? Look what David says here. Lord, how are they increased that trouble me? Many are they that rise up against me. Many there be which say of my soul, there is no help for him in God, Selah. But thou, O Lord, art a shield for me, my glory and the lifter up of mine head. I cried unto the Lord with my voice and he heard me out of his holy hill, Selah. I laid me down and slept. I awaked for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of 10,000s of people that have set themselves against me round about. He was talking literally. He said, I will not be afraid of 10,000s of people that have set themselves against me round about. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for thou hast smitten all mine enemies upon the cheekbone. Thou hast broken the teeth of the ungodly. Salvation belongeth unto the Lord. Thy blessing is upon thy people, Selah. What allowed David to sleep while being chased through the wilderness by his own son? With Ahithophel counseling Absalom to raise up several thousand men to go out and wipe out David and kill him before there's even time to organize a battle. How could David sleep? The answer is, I cried unto the Lord with my voice and he heard me out of his holy hill, Selah. In our modern day of apathy, in our modern day of agnostic faith and false Christianity, in our modern day of neo-gnosticism, new Gnosticism that says the flesh is only sinful and the spirit is only holy and therefore I can sin as much as I want instead of asceticism, we've turned ourselves over to license in this modern day that separates the spirit from the flesh and does not recognize the reality of Christianity we would say, I cried unto God and he heard me because he said in the Bible, he hears my prayers. So even though I have no assurance from God that I'm heard, I have no assurance from time with God, but rather from a presumptuous and self-willed desire to please my flesh, I shoot a flare prayer up to God and then hit the sack pretending like my prayer is answered even though I've not heard from heaven in this modern day this verse is taken out of its context. David cried unto the Lord and God answered David. And when David got the answer to his prayer, David went to bed. When David knew God had heard him, he went to bed. This kind of prayer is a lost thing in our day. This kind of prayer is completely lost to us today. Oh, we've got the doctrine of salvation down by grace through faith only. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Some of us even have that doctrine of sanctification down, that it is only God that sanctifies, that it's a work of faith. But then we take these doctrines and presumptuously act like we have no part in the matter and refuse to discipline ourselves in any way, which is nothing but a farce. Nothing but a show and a false Christianity. David here interceded for his life. He interceded for his family. He interceded for his men. He went to the throne of grace and he found help from God. He got an answer from God and he laid down and slept. He said, I awaked for the Lord sustained me. This was not presumptuous, name it, claim it faith. This was biblically based, biblically grounded faith that was a faith that went, was an action based faith, a prayer based faith that when he got the answer from God, he acted on it by sleeping. Chapter 4 here of Psalms all talks about um, God enlarging him in his distresses. And he says down here, 
In verse 8, I will both lay me down in peace and sleep, for thou, Lord, only makest me dwell in safety. Again, this is not David who is ignoring the reality of sin in his life. This is not David ignoring the reality of sin in his family. This is not David putting his head in the sand about the reality of sin and lost dying souls on their way to hell and then going to bed as if nothing's the problem because this verse is in the Bible. This is David doing battle with satanic forces in prayer. And when he has vanquished his foe through faith and has assurance of the answer of God, he lays himself down in peace and sleeps knowing that the Lord will make him dwell in safety. Sleep is necessary. Christ also slept. Go to Mark 4 in your New Testament. Mark chapter 4 and verse 38. Let's look at Christ real quick and how Christ dealt with this matter of sleep. Jesus Christ, fully man, fully God, and all points tempted like, like as we are yet without sin, slept. Jesus slept quite often. But there's a time for sleep and a time to not sleep. Let's learn from the Master. Mark 4, 38. It says here in verse 35, The same day when the even was come, he saith unto them, his disciples, Let us pass over unto the other side. And when they had sent away the multitude, they took him even as he was in the ship, And there were also with him other little ships. And there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship so that it was now full. And he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. There's Jesus Christ sleeping on a pillow in the hinder part of the ship. I doubt that was a full body-sized pillow. He's probably laying there on the wood planks of the ship. And for once, he had some kind of pillow to rest his head on. And there he is asleep. They come to him, it says, and they awake him and say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And he arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And he said unto them, Why are ye so fearful? How is it that ye have no faith? Like God's going to let the Messiah drown? Furthermore, if they would have rebuked it in Jesus' name with faith, it would have happened just the same. They didn't need to wake up Jesus. They had him with them and they had his promises and they had his power and they knew that it was God's will for Jesus to not drown in the Sea of Galilee. They could have had faith and rebuked it. Jesus went to sleep in faith and the storm arose and Jesus slept right through the storm until the disciples woke him up. True faith-based sleep can sleep in a storm. (coughs) Apathy sleeps through all storms, without ever having any kind of faith. Luke 16, let's go there. Well, let's go to Mark 1 first while you're there, Mark. Go to Mark chapter 1, and then we'll go over to Luke. Mark chapter 1 and verse 34, it says here. So here's Jesus Christ, and in verse 32, at even when the sun did set. This is after a long day of work of preaching and healing. It says, And even when the sun did set, they brought unto him all that were diseased and them that were possessed with devils, and all the city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many that were sick of diverse diseases and cast out many devils and suffered not the devils to speak because they knew him and in the morning. So here he is. All of this took place at sunset and after. And down there in Israel, they don't have the as extreme seasons as we have up here in the Western Hemisphere in the northern part of it. So his sunset was a lot more balanced than ours can sometimes be. Sometimes our sunset's pretty early, but their sunset would have been a lot more balanced and even. So after sunset, that's evening. That's when you get ready for bed and go to bed. So after sunset, his house was beleaguered with sick folk and devil-possessed, and he stayed up healing people late into the night, if you look at this at all, it says the city was gathered together at the door. You don't deal with the whole city in a matter of 20 minutes. Jesus stayed up ministering late into the night. In verse 35, in the morning and in the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place and there prayed. 
Here's Jesus denying himself sleep. Go to Luke chapter 6 and verse 12. And it came to pass in those days that he went out into a mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. Look what it says next. And when it was day, he went over and he got himself some toast, a couple eggs at the diner, and he went and he got a nice bed at the sleep inn, and he crawled in underneath the pillows and he slept 12 hours because he'd earned it. He'd, he'd prayed all night, you see. So he slept another 12 hours. Then he got up and watched some TV, ate some dinner, um, brought a few snacks home, watched a little more TV, and went to sleep and got a good night's sleep that night so he would be fresh and ready the next day. Is that what it says? Not even close. Look what it says. And when it was day, he called unto him his disciples, and of them he chose twelve, whom also he named apostles. And then he preaches to them, sends them out, and it says that the whole that there came down with him and stood in the plain, and the and the or he came down with them and stood in the plain in the company of his disciples, and a great multitude of people out of all Judea and Jerusalem and from the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon, which came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases, and they that were vexed with unclean spirits, and they were healed. He spent the whole next day in ministry. The whole multitude sought to touch him, for there went virtue out of him and healed them all. When most people would turn naturally to the bed, Christ turned to his knees, and we must learn from the master, when there is a battle to fight, when there is a war raging, when the enemy has yet to be vanquished, it is not time to sleep. Do you remember Joshua in the Bible, who when the sun was setting and they'd had a good hard day of whipping the enemy and killing their enemies? After a good long hard day, he said, son, stand thou still. And he beseeched God and got a whole nother 24 hours to run and fight. I'll bet there were some people in that army that weren't just thrilled with Joshua's prayer. Oh, man, I wanted to go home. My wife was fixing mutton tonight. I just know that the kids are going to eat all of it. I'm not going to get any of it now. I could have had a good night's sleep. And now look at that sun. It's stuck up there in the sky. I've been running for 14 hours. Joshua, don't you know it's time to sleep? And Joshua says, sleep? There's an enemy to defeat. There's a battle to fight. There's a war to win. There's promises to claim. God is on our side. Hallelujah. The Bible says that wise people discern both time and judgment. Proverbs 19.15 says, Slothfulness casteth into a deep sleep. Go ahead and turn there. We have just a few verses I want to pick up in Proverbs here. Slothfulness casteth into a deep sleep. Now, again, we've already noted that there's a time for sleep. But here it says that slothfulness casteth into a deep sleep. That's in verse 15. And an idle soul shall suffer hunger. Now, spiritual slothfulness can manifest itself in the life of a man who works 16 hours a day, seven days a week. You can work your fingers to the bone. You can work your life expectancy down by 30 years. You can work yourself into the grave and barely even sleep and be spiritually slothful, spiritually asleep, spiritually unable to discern the needs of the people around you, spiritually unable to take care of your own family. Proverbs 20 and verse 13, love not sleep, lest thou come to poverty. Open thine eyes and thou shalt be satisfied with bread. Sleep in this life is a necessary reality, but it is not designed by God to be your comforter. The Holy Spirit of God is your comforter. When you are distressed, when you are discouraged, when you are in anguish, when you are frustrated, when you are defeated, whenever you feel like you have wasted your day, the worst thing you can do is go to bed in that condition. Get on your knees. Get before God. Get to the throne of grace. Do battle with the devil. Fight it through with your Bible open in front of you. Love not sleep lest thou come to poverty. There's no poverty like spiritual poverty. You can be the richest man in the whole world and be spiritually poverty stricken. 
Jesus said, what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his soul? Proverbs 24 and verse 33. The devil loves to tempt you away from prayer with work. Oh, there's always something else that needs done, some other project. And by the way, everyone, especially in these parts, looks up to a man who works hard. Now, if the neighbor comes by and he sees um, nothing happening because you're in your prayer closet, he might think you're lazy. But if he doesn't, instead he comes by and he sees you trimming your hedge for the 17th time this month because there's about four or five twigs on each bush that aren't exactly perfect. And you're out there picking up sticks because a squirrel ran across the trees and a few little twigs fell on your immaculate lawn. And the neighbor walks by and sees you again. You'll say, look at that hardworking man and you'll get praise of men. But your prayer closet is neglected. You have calluses on your hands, but no calluses on your knees. Men can see your calluses on the hands and you can be proud of your calluses on your hands. But what about the calluses on your knees? That nobody can see. Proverbs 13 and verse 3. I'm sorry, that's Psalm 13 and verse 3. There's another kind of sleep here that I want to look at real quickly before we go to our closing section, our final points here. Psalm 13, if I can find it. Here we go in verse 3. Consider and hear me, O Lord my God. Lighten mine eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. The Bible talks about people dying a lot of times as people going to sleep, especially those that are Christians. He says here, lighten mine eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. There's a, he says, how long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long shall mine enemy be exalted over me? The Bible tells us ye are all children of the light in the last text. You should not be in this condition. Here, Here is a man who is so discouraged and in such despair and heaviness and anguish that he's ready to die. And he says to God, lighten mine eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lighten mine eyes like Elijah under the juniper tree. And he says, I'm not better than my father's. Take my life, Lord. He says, just take me, Lord. Just take me now. I've had enough. I've not brought deliverance. I'm jealous for your name. And he's saying to God, in essence, what the psalmist is saying here in Psalm 13, lighten mine eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. God have mercy on me. God give me help. Jesus said, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest to your souls. He didn't say it to the slough off, to the slothful man who's not laboring. He said, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest to your souls. The psalmist said, lighten mine eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. There is a time that you have got to get comfort. You have got to get rest. You have got to get physical sleep from God and God will give you that if you seek him for it. Go to 1 Peter 4, 7. 1 Peter 4, 7. Here he says, but the end of all things is at hand. Be ye therefore sober and watch unto prayer. The end of all things is at hand. Be ye therefore sober and watch unto prayer. This world is winding down. The time that we have to work is coming to a close. Jesus said the night cometh when no man can work. He says, this is the day. This is the hour. I must do the works of him that sent me. He said, my meat is to do the will of my father which is in heaven. There's a time for work and the time is now. You've got to get some sleep in the midst, but it should only be the sleep that God gives you peacefully. By the way, Christian, did you know that if you try to get enough sleep, but you don't get right with God and you don't spend time in prayer, the devil will steal the sleep you try to get. Did you know that if you try to go to bed, I'll tell you personally, last night I tried to go to bed and I laid my head on my pillow and I thought I had prayed all I needed to pray. I thought I had done everything I needed to do and I laid my head on that pillow and every time I was about to fall asleep, that stupid dog would start barking. 
And then I would hear him bark in a way that made me think he got out of his fence. And where we're living, he's not allowed out loose out of his fence. And so out of obligation to the society in which I live, I was worried that he'd broken out of his stupid pen, out of his fence. And so lo and behold, at midnight, I finally found myself outside in the yard with a dog instead of sleeping trying to get the dog back in the fence, trying to secure the fence, trying to make sure the dog couldn't get back out. When it came time to wake up and read my Bible and pray, I was exhausted and I slept through my alarm. But do you know what happened while I was sleeping through my alarm? I didn't even realize it. I knew something weird had hit my mind and I felt weird about it, but it wasn't until right before starting this preaching that God helped me remember what had gone through my mind in my sleep and it was trash. And I got hit with a broadside from hell in my sleep when I was supposed to be up reading my Bible and praying. So now you know how super unspiritual the man preaching this is and how bad he needs his own advice and the word of God himself. But the devil doesn't care if you got enough sleep or not. The devil is going to be there when the battle is time for battle. There was a time whenever kings go out to war and David stayed home and didn't go to battle and the devil didn't let up on him. There was Bathsheba, there was adultery, there was murder, there was sin, there was reproach to the name of Christ. The devil doesn't care what happened last night that ruined your night's sleep. You've got to be right with God. You've got to be in your prayer place. The end of all things is at hand. Let us therefore watch, he says. Let us therefore watch. Be ye therefore sober and watch under prayer. First Peter 5 and verse 8, be sober, be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Be sober because the adversary is like a lion walking about seeking whom he may devour. If you were out in the woods and you were laying down under a tree and all of a sudden you heard a lion roar in the distance, it would probably unsettle you. And you say, well, I've got to get some rest. I've got to walk another 25 miles tomorrow with my pack. And so I need to get some sleep. I'm not going to worry about it. And you start to go back to sleep and the lion roars and he's about half as far away as he was. Would you go back to sleep or get up? There you go. God says here, be sober, be vigilant because your adversary, the devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. When you go to bed and you lay your head down and you get dirty thoughts in your mind as you're trying to go to sleep, get out of bed, get on your knees, get your Bible open and watch under prayer. The devil is as a roaring lion walking about seeking whom he may devour. You lay there in bed. You're finally comfortable. You're tired. You've been working hard all day. And you just as you start to fall asleep, a bitter thought, an angry thought comes into your heart and you find yourself struggling with bitterness. Get out of bed. Get on your knees. Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. Your sleep is not as important as winning the battle. What do you do in warfare? Oh, everybody's in their camp. It's time to go to sleep. And right then the enemy starts screaming and yelling and charging through the woods, firing their guns. And you say, hold on, enemy. I'm getting my sleep. Come back later. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. Do you hear me? It doesn't work that way. Be sober. Be vigilant. Your adversary, the devil, walketh about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may de devour. By the way, if you go down there <coughs> to Psalms 4, we're going to be looking there in Romans as we close. So you can go there if you want. But back in Psalms 4 where it says, I will both lay me down in peace and sleep for thou, Lord, only makest me dwell in safety. It says here in verse 3, but know that the Lord hath set apart him that is godly for himself. The Lord will hear when I call unto him, stand in awe and sin not. Commune with your own heart upon your bed and be still. Selah. The sack offered 
the sacrifices of righteousness and put your trust in God. The Bible talks about this, how the meditations of your heart while you go to sleep will determine your actions the next day. The Bible says that God will not allow you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with every temptation provide a way for escape. But did you know that sometimes your way of escape comes the night before? Sometimes your way of escape comes in the morning, early hours when you're supposed to be in the word of God and God has called you to the garden of prayer to spend time with him. And if you neglect your time of prayer, if you go to bed with a heart that is not right with God and ignore your Christian duty and you do not discipline yourself, you will walk right by your way of escape before you even know you need it. And then when you're in sin and crying and squealing like a stuck pig that got in a snare. Why, God? Why did you forsake me? Why, God, did you let me be overcome? You said you would provide a way of escape. God might just look down from heaven and say, son, I did provide a way of escape, but you were sleeping. Romans 13. Verse 10, love worketh no ill to his neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. He says, and that knowing the time, knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. It is time to wake up. It is time to get involved. It is time to get in the battle. He says in verse 12, the night is far spent. The day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Isn't that interesting? He goes to the armor here, speaking about sleep, which is exactly where the apostle Paul goes again in first Thessalonians. If you read on through verse seven and eight there in first Thessalonians five. And he goes to this armor of light. Verse 13, let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lusts thereof. You say, oh, I don't make provision for the flesh. I'm sure that I don't do that. Listen to me. If you are a lazy bum spiritually, you are making provision for your flesh. If you neglect your quiet time with God, you are making provision for your flesh. If you allow dirty thoughts and sinful thoughts and bitter thoughts, etc., angry thoughts, if you allow these things to dominate your heart and your mind instead of getting on your knees and getting right with God and you go to sleep meditating on these things, you are making provision for the flesh. This battle starts with sleep. How can sleep be such a battleground? I don't know, but it is. Love not sleep, lest thou come to poverty. Be on your guard, Christians. Be on your guard, believers. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that you would use this, that you would help me, Lord that you would help me to take this and apply it to my life and to discipline myself to not sleep as do others, but to watch and to be sober. Thank you, Lord, for your mercy and your grace, Lord. I don't deserve to even be able to stand and preach. I thank you for this mercy, Lord, that you've given me as such an unprofitable servant, Lord, such a disobedient servant that's not even done everything that's been my duty to do. But I thank you, Lord, for your grace and that you're preaching this at me, Lord, so that I can change and so that I can be on my watch, Father. Help me to take this to heart. Help us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.